Hello, all you beautiful pants people. Just wanted to pop in to say thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being our friends. And thank you for making this journey so meaningful and worthwhile. how to do this no <laughs> it's been a while it's been a while uh it's been two weeks two weeks for us yeah mr jimmy wolf has been off in uh, chicago oh yeah chicagoland we haven't talked about that yet I'm gonna oh, yeah, last oh yeah year, i guess i, I legit guess, thought yeah. chicago was on the uh on the west coast no i was trying to think that we're fucking up our timelines again but we're not we're good <laughs> we're back we're we good. i'm back. back yeah we couldn't have possibly <laughs> talked about it before <laughs> oh, wait, wait wait a second we're going jeremy's just not there Hold he's on, still we, in chicago it's like we, fuck <laughs> We already, re- we already recorded the Chicago session. <laughs> <laughs> We're too good at this now. Tell us all about it. Tell us about it. It was fun. It was a whirlwind. It was a blur. Lots of things happen every single day. Okay. Ate way too much food. Oh, excellent. Way too much food. I swear I gained like 30 pounds. Well, we don't have a lot of stuff up here. So, right. you know, when we go back, you know, we get everything that we can't get here and get it in excess Four inch thick pizza. No, we didn't have any. We didn't have pizza. Huh? No. Huh? No, but we went to one of our favorite spots. It's called Portillo's. It's like a, like a Chicago classic. We got like Chicago dogs, Italian beef. What's on a Chicago crinkle dog? fries? They got huh? the pizzas. Got the pizzas. What's on a Chicago dog? What's on a Chicago? It's a dog? hot dog in a bun, mm-hmm. and it's got mustard, relish, a pickle, some peppers. Cool. No ketchup. So the pickle makes it a. You get murdered if you put a. <laughs> If you put ketchup on it. That's what makes a Chicago dog. Yes. It's the, the murder. The murder. Yes. Yeah. The murder. Yes. Like... <laughs> yes. blood instead. No, many establishments have a wall of shame where if you get a Chicago dog and request ketchup on it, you get put up on the wall of shame. <laughs> like they just put it. thing. I don't they know. They just pin I, your whole body up onto the wall of shame. No, they're it's like. It's just a thing. They're like, hold on, <laughs> let me get the ketchup for you. And they pull out a Polaroid instead. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand the reasoning behind it. It's a thing. It's just a Chicago thing. Well, if you are listening and you're from Chicago, you are a barbarian, and uh, 
get off. All right, I want to make us some some Chicago <laughs> dogs, so you can see. They're wonderful. Okay, they're um, re- they're really good. I'll try it. They're really good. I'll try it. Well, yeah, Stephen, no. you have some news for us, right? Very exciting news. Very very cool news. We kind of sort of have mail. Mail time! <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, Jeremy. Yes, it's mail that we sent ourselves. And if you follow us online, on our social media, or on Discord, then you will already know that we have an ugly coyote zine. Boom, boom. But Stephen, what's a zine? <laughs> what is a zine? Basically, take a um, eight and a half by 11 inch piece of computer paper. Wow. Hold it. <laughs> <laughs> hold it landscape. Hold it sideways. Fold it in half. And you have sort of like a booklet. Say no more, fam. But then stack a bunch of those on top of each other. Did you just call him fam? He's talking. <laughs> so it's a mini, it's a mini magazine. It's a zine. <laughs> and it's all about the Ugly Coyote, our fictional tavern uh, that we have on the Radiant Citadel, where our characters live and love and laugh and stuff. Because you guys made me make up a name on the fly that one time, and I was really tired. <laughs> and here we are. And here we are. So it's a zine now. So what we're doing with this little zine is we're simultaneously launching a um, a coffee account. K O slash no, sorry, not slash dash hyphen. If we want to get technical, okay. K O hyphen dash F I dot com slash fantasy pants. Not the bad coffee, not the shitty, gross, disgusting drink coffee. It's the good coffee. You know that that's what it means, right? It means yeah. What? K o f i. They're talking about like, it's like a cute thing. It's yeah, like, it's hey, like, it's like buy me a coffee. You can go here and you can you know buy what me a coffee. Not? That's nothing for me. <laughs> well, too bad for you. So we didn't pick K o hyphen f i because David dislikes coffee. We picked it because when we when we receive one-time donations, there are no pesky fees. We don't have to, you know what I mean? So it's like, if you want to give us a buck, cool, you're giving us a buck. You're not giving us 90 cents or whatever. So that's where the zine comes in. Wow. <laughs> if you make, if you, if you do uh, uh, a minimum of five bucks for us, we're going to mail you one of these. You just got to get us your address and, uh, and you're going to get one. And uh, they're, yeah. they're really cool. The, um, the front cover was done by our friend Hungry Familiar. Um, in the center of the zine is a removable double-sided map of the Ugly Coyote um, drawn up by our friend Rochelle Soundpukey Girl. Woot woot. Then on the back cover, you have the character portraits done by um, Eric, who uh, we've talked about a lot. Uh, our Arakasan, he's on uh, Instagram as well. You can find him. And then in between all of that stuff is a bunch of good things, a couple of... Uh, Mini adventures written by David, um, some history about the Ugly Coyote, some uh, write-ups about the Cherry Delights who live in there, a little menu, and uh, all sorts of fun stuff. It's so. all slotted perfectly to make it into your worlds. Uh, nothing that's you know, tying it directly to this setting uh, so that you can take it, put it in your world, and have all the characters be there in their own ways that you decide if you're a DM and you want to add some fancy pants flair to your setting. So... So your players could uh, someday show up to the Ugly Coyote. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chester, hey. <laughs> Chester's in it. Chester's he's, in, he's it. in it. He's in it. He's in it. He got benched. <clears throat> so, so that's it. That's our that's our spiel about the zine. You'll probably hear about it again. Yeah, if he didn't, he'd be dead by now. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> With all that being said, 
Do you guys want to put the zines away and play some dreams? <laughs> what? I don't I, know. You're rhymed. Let me start. Let's, let's, okay. Let's retract that. That's not the segue. We can't use that. So I'm going to keep talking about zines for a second. <laughs> All right. Take it away. All right. And I'm going to find a better segue at the end of this. I don't have it now. It will be there. I just need to say one thing. Um, looking at the scene, the, the the cover and the back and the map in the middle and and, and all this coming together, it just it, it really makes me think about how much this whole campaign, how much like what we do is so completed by the community. I mean, like I, I'm sitting here with my dice tower and I've got my gold vein die from Zubeard, my full metal die from the captain. You're looking at a zine that has so many hands reaching out and making mm-hmm. it. Um, we're eating candy from Michelle in, in the corner. Like everything. This is amazing. Like, I just want to say real quick that you guys are incredible for, for reaching out and like touching this campaign in so many ways. You're, you're having the luminary spotlights, having all these little things. It's, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's, it's really cool. It's really humbling. I didn't expect there would be so much community involvement in, in, in doing this sort of thing. And I'm so thrilled by it. Um, you know what else is thrilling? Last episode. Was quite thrilling. It's a little ham-handed. It's a little up. ham-handed. Shut up. So, <laughs> real quick, real quick, before we get into this, I do have something to say here. Um, last episode was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I had a whole encounter ready to go. I had the Etten ready to fight. I had the Periton ready to go down. This is gonna be uh, this is gonna be a dangerous fight, potentially again. And we just didn't have it because you guys were creative and cool and awesome. And for that. I have a button for each of you. Hey. hey. Um, because you've saved this arc for me one episode longer. <laughs> <laughs> That's worth it. That's worth it, yeah. And honestly, just, I love creative play. I love what you guys did. It was really cool. And maybe it's a little late to the party. Maybe, maybe I should have done this last time, but I was so excited I couldn't do it. Jeremy Wolf. <laughs> when I said the name Zavar, I expected literally no response whatsoever. And you caught on to it immediately. You even quoted the scene mm-hmm. in episode yes, fucking 11. Damn straight. The only time this name has ever been said on the entire show, if I'm not wrong, take a second button, sir. Well, I think yeah, you deserve it. I, I, I will take this button that you're giving me because you feel bad after we discussed this just before we started recording. Hey. <laughs> I'll take a pity button. Oh, I definitely closed oh Discord. Oh, my God. I 100%. Okay, hang on. Let me, hang on. Thanks a lot, Zoobeard. <laughs> <laughs> Was it for real? <laughs> Zoobeard. That's awesome. I'm going to read his Discord live in case it's funny. Oh, okay. You know, I'm going to read this out loud in this episode because it's really cool. Okay. Uh, this is Zubeard reacting to the Luminary Spotlight he finally heard in the episode. Oh, um, dude. Excellent. David, I already heard your Luminary Spotlight on Instagram, real, but I didn't realize it was going to be in the episode until today. You guys are more than a podcast, just like Zubeard is more than a character. You deservedly have a great and loyal fan base. I was just talking oh, about this. Oh, man. I love you that guy. guys are so cool. Dude, for real. I can't even. I, so, it's so cool. So, so real quickly, um, I'll touch on the Spotify rewind thing just came out and we got to look at some of the stats and things like that. And, and my, my biggest takeaway, you look at the number of people who, who like listen to your podcast more than any other podcast. It was 29 people. We were number one. Yeah. And then it jumped up to, I don't remember for like top five was 85, 85, holy shit, 85 yeah. people were in their top five podcasts. I think it was 85. It was somewhere right around it was there. Just, it was 80 something. Just on Spotify. It was over a hundred in the top 10, right? That's fucking wild. Yeah. Uh-huh. Top 10. A hundred, yeah. 110. 
Have us in their top 10. Top 10. I mean, I'm going to guess that a lot of people just don't listen to 10 podcasts, period. I know I do. But, and then you think about it, that is just on one platform. It's fucking wild. Insane. So you, listening with your headphones on your way to work. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. On the bus. Thank you. For real. Thank you. Man, speaking of top 10s. You know what's going to be a top 10 episode of Fantasy Pants? <sighs> episode 60? This one right now. <laughs> Grown. <laughs> it's getting better. We're getting hotter. Um, okay. Before we get really started, because I'm going to have a flashback to get this going. Spoiler alert. Before that, what do you guys remember about the term Mazir Dracon? I don't believe this has come up since Subsunko in like episode 18 or so. Yeah, I remember that old guy said it about Ramin. It was like, not not the chosen one, but like a important person. Yeah, yeah, you know that's mm-hmm. that's very close. Yeah. Um. So long and short of it, there was an old blind man, Sanko, that seemed to revere Ramin Rasul. He referred to him as this Mazir Dracon. And when prompted to explain the word, he went on to tell you that it was an old word, an ancient word passed down in old legend. Some would use this to refer to Fai Moon, the legendary figure in Subsunko lore that called upon the spirits of the land and pulled the tall mountainous borders from the earth, protecting the residents of the Valley of Zantini from an outside attack. This is long, 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 long ago. According to this man, Mazir Dracon translates to one that is chosen by the spirits of the land. Whether this translation is the same outside of Subsunko, you don't know. It is a world that worships great spirits in lieu of gods. So, um... There have been a number of such figures throughout the histories of all the worlds born during times of great crisis, uh, figures that wield unbelievable powers and the ability to create miracles. He referred to, this man, uh, referred to uh, such people as being born with the words of spirits in their ears and as people who could change the world in impossible ways. And he did believe that Ramin Rasul was one such figure. Because many know of Ramin's resurrection by Atash, which is in itself very odd, as Atash only resurrects criminals who have yet to face full judgment. He never uses powers or the powers of subordinate celestials to bring the innocent back to life. But what makes Ramin's case even stranger is the fact that he returned with burgeoning celestial powers of his own. A seeming miracle. Whether or not Ramin truly is a Mazir Dracon, as the man thought, you do not know. But it seems there is a Mazir Dracon that walks among the worlds in the form of little Paul. And hearing this, Jules, you might recall a number of times where Paul seemed to be aware of something before it happened, such as the storm over Tythos or the fall of the sapphire. So with that reminder in place, I'd like to go into a little flashback. And I need to right now say, this is going to be dark. This is going to be very dark and grim, and it will involve children. So, uh, that's uncomfortable. Skip ahead. Black screen. We hear the sounds of metal grinding against stone. And we open on a massive doorway, iron made, closing shut on a vast mining cavern. As we stare out at the light of day, disappearing behind the great metal barrier, we can see a number of armored men on the other side. Their eyes are haunted, mouths tight. They look sickened by what they see inside the cavern, by what they leave behind. And as we see these men in this light fully vanishing behind the slamming of metal, we see what Miskin sees. The LaRoche guard that ushered the children from Aurora Town 
to the fire opal conquer jewel, and then from the gemstone port in Manzanare straight to the mines, hidden behind the nearby town of Hollow. Those men are gone now. There are no men left within this mine. Only monsters. If Jessenth Kellig was radish in his features, then Zavar can be best described as a boar. Slanted nub of a nose, bulging, uneven eyes. His frame with his hunched back and bloated stomach looks nearly spherical, no neck to speak of. It's a grotesque sight, but not one that would surprise Jules or Dredden. This, this, this is the man they knew in their days in the Tower of Authority. But the gray, slick skin, the sharp, dagger-like teeth form perfectly for rending flesh, the eyes sunken and lifeless. These features are new. A stink radiates from the news of our particular potent smell of rot that seems to fill the entire massive cavern. His henchmen are much the same, two of them, lingering in the light, though more linger in the shadows of the deeper mine. Cold, pale flesh, hungry eyes with no spark, long tongues that hang from their mouths, lolling and swaying around with their every movement. One of them has their icy hands wrapped around Miskin's arms, grip unnaturally strong. He's been held fast as a monster called Zavar moved between him and Paul, looking over his other two gifts from Cerise. Round stuff had been taken immediately to a nearby cell, and she now watches through thick bars, hands shaking where she grips as her friends are appraised. This one, the imbecile, he is worthless to me. Zavar speaks. A drop of blood runs down Paul's forehead where Zavar's long, clawed fingernail has cut a slash. Paul stares forward, quiet, his consciousness buried deep behind his eyes. I realize I've never actually described Paul in much detail. Uh, I've always seen a, a boy about eight years old, still very young. Um, always imagined, uh, especially small, dark skin with very short-cut hair that never seems to really grow. I imagine large eyes, light brown with specks of shimmering gold, often staring far off as if lost in a dream. And this one... Zavar looks into Miskin's narrowed eyes. I know a lost cause when I see it. You may take them both into the dark and feast. Paul does not react to the words. Miskin tries to struggle to move against the ghoul that holds him to reach his belt of ragged cloth. No! Roundstuff screams out from her cell, prompting Zavar to turn in her direction, his arm flashing out in dramatic sweeping gesture. Do not touch the tiefling under any circumstances. Her blood is blessed by demonic influence already. Roundstuff with her light purple skin and small tiefling horns continues to scream out against the bars. Itzmin's child has shown us the potential inherent in tieflings, and this specimen will be even more potent. Perhaps able to hold her new form even during the light of Day. He begins to move towards Roundstuff, grinning, a hungry growl entering his voice. Congratulations, child. Come the toll of midnight and the night of the remembered, I will remake you. The bones of the ancient be brimming with power. Power to be shaped. Power to transform. Like the Takatakoro that hunts the rebellious scum for my masters, you will become a most honored tool of Zalmate's job. But 
Such a high being has no need for reminders of the past. He turns toward his two ghouls, each holding a child. Take them now. Do what you will, just do it out of my sight. No, no! Miskin, holding that tears and still fighting, struggling. Round stuff. Stay strong, Jules is coming. The two are dragged by the ghoul's paw, moving easily, misking, dragging, and kicking with every step. He's coming. He's going to save you and kill this monster. Silence, dinner. The ghoul calls out. You'll be such succulent dinner. And Miskin, hearing this, kicks out with all of his strength, pushing his body higher, moving his hand towards his waist. Not without a fight! He produces a dagger, pulling it from the cloth of his belt, a weapon stolen from one of the LaRoche guard on the journey here. With an effort, he thrusts his body downwards, driving the dagger into the ghoul's leg. It does not scream out, it does not react to the pain at all, but it does lose balance, collapsing to the dirt and releasing its prisoner. And Miskin begins to run. Turning back once to make sure the other ghoul, the one holding Paul, had let the more complacent child go to give chase to the quicker, more furious prey. Run, Paul! Miskin charges towards the darkness of the tunnels, heart pumping, eyes watering, leaping step by leaping step. In the darkness he can hide, in the darkness he can escape, in the darkness... A cold, clammy hand wraps around his leg and he falls, hard, crashing to the ground. Did you think you could outrun us, child? Zavar's voice. You bear the weakness of a beating heart. Lungs that must breathe. A body that can tire. We have no such flaws. I am sorry I could not make you better like I will the girl. But rest assured your flesh will serve a purpose yet. His grip is strong. His other hand reaches around, misking long claw, drawing towards the boy's throat and the ground begins to shake. Zavar snaps his head around, searching the room, and his eyes settle on something growing wide, something akin to astonishment shows in the dark, faded pools of his pupils. Miskin turns to look too, and he sees what Zavar sees. He sees Paul. The boy had run per Miskin's request. He had run, but not to an exit. To one of the enormous spine-like fossils that protrude from the earth the cavern's edge. And he embraces it now, eyes closed, face pressed against the rough black bone. And the shaking grows in intensity. A rumbling sound echoes through the caverns, then behind and beyond it, a deeper rumbling. Cracks form in the ceiling, small at first, then splitting and growing. Dirt showers the ground of the lab, followed by larger stone crashing down. One of them crashes onto one of the ghouls that moves towards Paul, and the creature's head is crushed instantly. It twitches and falls. Miskin feels the hand in his leg loosen. He looks for a moment to see Zavar. He sees a manic smile on the, the creature's face, every sharpened tooth revealed. And then Miskin kicks out hard, slipping from the grip and running, running again to the deeper tunnels. The shaking ground seems to calm before him, giving stability to his flight. Though he can hear the sounds of falling, crashing stone behind. He hits the tunnel, pressing deeper. And a voice rings out behind him, booming through the cavern, a voice filled with zealous fervor, a dark prayer. Oh, Galapsania, do you see? He speaks with the ancient ones. He is Messiah <laughs> A loud crack sounds from behind Miskin in the tunnel entrance, caves there, drowning out all sounds. 
all sights. Yeah, and that's what happened. <laughs> so fucking stupid. I love this is our this is our tone. This is our tone. It's like we go so hard and it's like, let's just fucking slap that though. Um <laughs> oh my god. You guys are back in the mountains, moving Miskin's swiftly. A, Miskin's a great storyteller. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I figured like I was like you know what I could just transcribe to all the stuff he knew but it's easier just to have a scene and now you guys know the stuff he knew yeah um, it's just easier um, he goes on as you're kind of swiftly moving down the mountainside I ran through the tunnels in the dark I heard, I heard a cracking sound beside me there like a like the stone was opening up just for me I I felt Paul urging me forward I pressed through the dark for maybe an hour until I saw light. Then I climbed out into the desert and I ran. I ran and ran until I was exhausted, banged up from pushing through the tunnels. I was found by the Cabrals, the, that family, and they kept me safe. I, I must have left some trail behind me, fool, because men came looking for me soon after. They didn't find me, though. You know this was the bounty hunters that Arlon dispatched. Mm-hmm. And once I thought it was safe to move, I, I was going to head for the city. I was going to find a way to message you, Jules. Then the Etten came. He looks back up the trail, sort of towards the mountain peaks that loom behind you, where maybe the faintest sort of rumbling roar can be heard every now and then, something screaming out in some agony and rage. They're monsters, but I almost feel bad for Shalmel. They lost their only son many years ago, and they never found him. When they heard of a half-orc, they considered it close enough. Shal called me her... Cousin child, I think. They're, they're orcish. It's, yeah, it's pretty rough. And he just looks back to you, Jules, and, and goes quiet. Miskin is safe now. We got you. I know, but they're not. Roundstuff and Paul, that thing has intentions for them. I, I didn't and, know what it was like for you, Jules, until now. I didn't. He actually just runs over and, like, hugs you, like, embraces your leg. Like, it must have been hard. Yeah, it was. And then Jules... We'll bend down and kind of hold him by his shoulders and look him straight in the eye. We have to go back for them. I hate that I have to ask you to go back, but I will protect you. Jules, I was always going back. I know. It's like shared moment. These two intense sets of eyes looking at each other. And then he... and. God, I got to stop saying things like, I will protect you to people, because then they just die. <laughs> oh, God. He's, he's looking at you, and his eyes sort of, like, clear for a second. Jules, that moment in the cavern, I've thought about it a lot. Paul, whatever, whatever Paul did back there, and that rumbling sound in the cavern, it was so impossibly clear and close that I thought it, it couldn't possibly be, but I've been living in that moment, and I'm sure of it. It was, it was thunder, Jules. Thunder like the keening gloom on the citadel. Thunder like that storm over Tythos. And here, our little camera's going to pan away from Miskin and Jules for just a moment and slowly zoom in towards Crispin Dubois. Crispin, hearing this, what expression do you wear? Crispin's been listening to this, and it's kind of put him in a a bit of a daze. And then at the mention of Thunder... That kind of tipped the scales and his fur stands on end. And he's 
Crispin's trying to keep his composure. He doesn't want to give away that he's scared, I think. Hell yeah. Let me a deception check, just to see. Deception. Oh, excellent. At a minus two. Here we go. <laughs> oh, no. That is rough. <laughs> Five minus two. I think there's a, a notable stiffening, maybe. Like, just hear this for a second. And I think, like, Jules, you catch this with your passive insight. Your like, eyes flicker to Crispin. Yeah, and Crispin's eyes dart, and he kind of audib- audibly gasps. So. <laughs> and with that, let's drift back into a second flashback because we're having a very special episode here today and we're going to turn back that clock again. Double flashback, Double oh, flashback baby. baby! I got to make a flashback sound now. Or in this particular case, actually, we're going to have the second half of a flashback we started a while ago. So, I don't know. Maybe that counts as a full one. I don't care. Let's do some music. Let's drift back into the mists of God's breath, into the swamps near Blackwater Cove, to a clearing surrounded by tall, gnarled trees where Crispin Dubois stares up at a truly enormous creature. A reptilian face, draconic perhaps. It's hard to make out so much in the, in the dense fog. Some great wall of wadi wraps around the trees that surround you like the coils of a serpent. This thing peers down from the skies. Or it could be more accurate that it is the sky, mouth open, tongue hanging beneath a throat filled with swirling black clouds, thunder claps within this stormy cyclone. It is a scene much akin to peering into the great keening gloom beneath the radiant citadel. And with a roar that leaves your rabbit ears ringing, the creature has just said, We will be Sadrakan again! Crispin, what do you do? We're playing it out. Oh, shit. Sorry, I didn't warn you. Oh, <laughs> um, what does Crispin do? What does he do? <laughs> Here, take a second to think. I'm going to grab a rock star because I destroyed my throat with the ghouls and again with this guy. Yeah, that's I'm in pretty trouble. tough. Top, pretty uh, tough stuff. I got two episodes tonight. I'm in trouble. <laughs> I mean, Crispin tilts his head all the way back to take this thing in and chokes out. He can just repeat the words. Does that mean anything to him? I don't think it does. I think if you wanted to learn about it, you'd need to. Holy shit. That's a loud, that's a loud storm. Let me turn that down. Um, I think you need to seek out the, the, that term in order to understand it, essentially. And at this point, you'd have no reason to have done that. Okay. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll ask. He'll sort of scream up like he's speaking <laughs> to the sky. <laughs> what is... What is... Shah Drakhan! You just rally out this thing. Its mouth still open, eyes peering down at you. And then. Truth! Truth and form! We are lost! Torn, torn, torn by the plains! Displaced and consumed! Fragments! We, we, we gave ourselves all for nothing. Thunder cracking in the throat. Crispin's looking to his, to his right and to his left. 
and he's getting closed in on. What? What do you want? What do you want from me? Live and unite them. And the thing begins to fade away. The sounds of rolling thunder, the sudden harsh wind, all that fades, leaving you in the murky silence of the swamp for a moment. Then noise does return. The mists all around you come alive with dozens of dark shapes. The things that hunt you, that you've led from your village. They step from the mist and you can see the elongated snapping maws of these giant crocodiles. You can see their scales dripping away and pools of rot revealing yellow bone beneath. You can see their broken, brutal teeth. Some still coated with the blood and fur of your friends and neighbors. Undead monstrosities born from the Shadowfell's touch on your world. And they have you surrounded. You knew this was going to be a suicide mission when you ran, but but there's had time to get away. Your life and your death will mean something, Crispin. How does that feel to you? He's... It feels scary, but it also feels... Peaceful? He's afraid, but he's grateful. Perhaps there's comfort in this. In the wake of the horror you face now and the strange vision you just saw. Perhaps there's comfort as they move in, swarming all over you. At least I'm going to go out with the bang. <laughs> and with that, something slams into you. Not one of the creatures, nothing physical, but a wave of emotion, palpable, nearly physical, coming from somewhere deep beneath your feet, coming from the land itself. Rage. Pure rage. Sickening and intoxicating all at once like nothing you've ever felt before. Like bolts of lightning shooting through your veins. Your muscles go taut. Your body shakes with it. And these monsters are nearly on top of you, but you feel... This rage, you feel larger. So impossibly large. As large as this clearing. As large as the swamp. What happens now? as these monsters come to claim their prey. Crispin can feel this this power and and he doesn't he doesn't believe it. He knows that nobody else will believe it. He just wants to he thinks if I can get out of here, I want to remember. And he starts to say to himself, Shadrakan. 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 And as he's saying it, he can feel the the power in the ground and the first time it happens it's like a ripple <laughs> escapes from him through the ground and as the ripple pulses out it pushes all of these creatures back and then it happens again a little stronger this time and as it pushes them back it flings them up into the air and then the third time it happens it comes from the ground all around and the ground and the rocks just shoot up from out of the ground. (laughs) And these creatures get pelted with rocks and boulders from below. And then as as they start to fall, they they get hit from above as the rocks and boulders start to fall from above. And then slowly they eventually stop moving. And the, the torrent in the ground begins to slow. But the sand is still 
moving and shaking like like water and the shapes begin to disappear under the ground and by the time everything settles they're not just dead they've completely been swallowed <laughs> into the soil holy shit and as this happens as they're swallowed that rage that power drains from you seeping from your body like a dream from a waking mind until it is gone until you are alone in the swamp accompanied only by hidden broken bodies and swirling mist and the sound of distant thunder and we're back Whew. so yeah that's how it happened <laughs> Round of applause for Steven. I'm just going to give you a button. I'm just going to give you a button for the scene. I'm going to give you two buttons now. Oh, my oh, goodness. Yeah. That was good. Wow-wee. I'm generous today. It's because right. we, we gave you shit before we hit record. It's Yeah, that, that's true. Oh, my God. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Then for our third flashback. <laughs> no, I'm so done. <laughs> no more flashbacks. Okay, hey, more voices. Just gotta whisper for the rest of the, the rest of the session and the yeah, next the, one we're turning. Ne- right next one, next one's jeans. And that's how it happened. <laughs> right, yeah. All the soft voices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every soft voice. Oh, I need more soft voices. Too many growls. I just like doing them. That's your doing. I I, I like doing them. I don't know. <laughs> you make it up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, okay. well, on this Shut note, up. <laughs> on this note, I noticed, and and this, this is like not making fun. This is like fascinating, fucking awesome. Mm. When you were doing those voices, your face started going red, and I could see the veins around your eyes, <laughs> like like, oh, no. like like you know, like where you like ho- ho- take a deep breath and then like close your mouth and push really, really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it was that thing. Well, I mean, it's got to take some sort of uh, strain to right. voice to voice Vazar, the ghouls. And Miskin, who arguably, like if I did them, would all have the same exact fucking voice. Yeah. Yeah. They probably did. <laughs> no, no. I thought they were, I thought they yeah. were each unique. And then the thing, the thing in the swamp. Oh, oh that man, thing that is a totally destroyed, different that destroyed beast. destroyed me. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Crispin, following that event. Let me not punch my mic. Hey, God. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, following that event, Crispin, you never really touched that same level of power. But that rage, you found a similar rage within yourself. Or perhaps is it your rage that you call upon? Or is it the rage of the land again? The rage of that thing in the swamp? And Wow, that maybe, is such a good question. Maybe other things like it? You get the impression when you use your abilities, like seeing visions through augury. You're calling upon something, not just the land, but something within the land. Something, some things like what you saw that day. Yeah, those are those are very obviously not Crispin's powers. He's using those, borrowing those. I really like thinking about the rage. <laughs> That's very cool. Where does that come from? Do you think he knows? I don't think Crispin knows. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I know Stephen doesn't know, so I think <laughs> I think Crispin doesn't know. That's 
awesome. Yeah. Um, do you think Crispin, in all the time after that, as he's wondered about the Shah Dracon, do you think he's come across the term Mazir Dracon before it was mentioned just now by Miskin? I mean, we learned earlier with with Zebulon how difficult it was to track down and define these terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think maybe he's been looking. Do you want to roll a history check to see if he's learned anything? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's much more fun. Ooh, yeah, nice. Let's yeah. do it. Give me a history check. Let's All see right. if your time Plus. as a luminary has uh, <laughs> taught you anything. Plus zero. You really should have talked to uh, Shole about this, huh? <laughs> the time might come. It's a 10. Just a 10? Just a 10. With a 10? I don't think you've heard Mazir Dracon before. Yeah, I think these I think these terms are, are rare, not well known. I'll give you one thing. Difficult to define. In your travels, you may at least with a 10 have come across similar knowledge to what Jules has of the term Shadrachan. You understand that it's, 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 it's from a forgotten tongue. Generally, two words. Shah always seems to relate to land or world. And Dracon seems to change always. Spirits, ancients, storms. In one strange chance... I believe it was on the world of Zing. An old man there referred to Drakan as meaning serpents in an old tongue. That's as far as you've gotten. I am going to mark down that canonically Crispin has been to Zing and look up <laughs> what creatures <laughs> are on Zing that he may have seen to transform into. Hell yeah, all right, all right. As you are, as your mind flash back to this moment, Jules, you see Crispin's reaction to the words you see as my flashback. Did you tell... I mean, it was a joke. Did you tell everybody that moment? No, no, no. Okay, it was just okay, a joke. gotcha. Um, your attention on Crispin's noted by Dance, Arhalon, and Miskin. And Crispin, was your kind of blink out of this, you notice that everyone is looking at you. It's a nightmare for me. I think Jules, at least. Jules isn't necessarily surprised by it. He kind, he gets it. I think, I think he understands what just happened, or at least the feeling of what just happened. Yeah. He, he's been in it before, and he knows. Crispin takes a step back to kind of, you know, excuse me, that's this, this a, this a hard story to hear. I'm sorry, child. I think what's kind of surprising is Arhalon sort of steps towards you, and with legitimate concern. Crispin, are you all right? Uh, <clears throat> yes, thank you, Arhalon. I lost my composure for a moment. Please, uh, please excuse me. Very well turns away. Do you guys continue to move down the mountain? Yeah, I mean it it really sounds like we need to move with all haste. Let me give you guys some information if you are ready for that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Miskin, I think we'll go as you move down like more and more and Reg comes out. uh, You just talked about going back. Miskin tells you he can get you into the tunnels that he came out of. The tunnels he believes were forged by Paul. New tunnels that lead into the desert. Maybe they found this tunnel out, maybe they didn't, but it's a small thing, subtle, very likely not guarded. We have to try. He remembers there are landmarks there that could help him find it, but there is one problem. Jules, you could squeeze through. Barely. Arhalon cannot. Arhalon will not be able to make it into the tunnels, and if this comes up as you're talking, Arhalon just sort of nods and offers instead to create a distraction. Should you intend to enter that way, he will go to the front and he will try to hold the guard, lead them away, do what he can to make sure there are no reinforcements coming when you make your way inside. 
Arhalan, I, I can't let you sacrifice yourself. It's no sacrifice. Arhalan, you know what would happen. It's not your choice. A child or me. It's an easy thing. Arhalan, if you don't go home to Shole, Ida. A child. Two children. We have so little time. And I'll tell you this. He's right. Because it was about four o'clock when you found the Ettons. You made brief work of that, so we're going to continue at, at four o'clock as you're pushing south. But your journey through the mountains took nearly six hours. And it will take the same to return. It's not easy footing. It's a hard climb. By the time you get down to the farm you started in, it'll be ten. An hour, at least, to get to Hollow. Longer to take the path through Miskin's Cave. It may be very near midnight, the time of the ritual when you arrive there, as it stands. There's no time for other options. There's no one else coming to save round stuff. I, I can't fail again, Ahalan, now you too. Um, all right. I want to ask a couple of questions. Yeah. The, the quote-unquote, the front, the front door that you're talking about that Ahalan wants to go to. Yes. And the cave entrance. What is the distance between those two? The cave entrance is maybe... It's not... Uh, the actual entrance going into it is probably a good uh, half a mile. Maybe a good 600 feet? Half a mile? Okay. Yeah. It's far. It's, he was moving the case for quite a while before he pushed through uh, and got out into the desert. Okay, well, there goes that. Were you thinking you could turn into something and get us there quicker? Because um, what if somebody flew on Arhalan as well? Yeah, Arhalan does not have to the difficult terrain. He can move normal speed. So okay. if he goes ahead of you, he can get there sooner. But oh, I'm thinking of like somebody flying on his back with him. That could be done. Yeah. Fuck. I really don't want Arhalan to die. And like I could help him, but it would be my other second level spell slot. Arhalan is strong. He may be able to hold his own. Just fine. He's not trying to fight them all. He's trying to do what he can to lure them away. Sure, right, right, right. He doesn't necessarily know what he's walking into. Miskin will tell you that there's at least eight men, the men that brought them there. He thinks that's all there is, but there could be more hiding around. All LaRoche Guard. Not necessarily the highest trained, but... It's it's not... Crispin's digging in through his bag, looking for looking for something to help, and he's not coming up with anything. I've got I've got nothing for you. I, I, and he's pulling out, I'll say for flavor, just these little packets of of herbs and, and tinctures uh, take this one this one will uh this one will help you with your focus and 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 take this one and this one will get a uh you know a little boost of strength you know a little vitality for you and uh but it's really nothing of of consequence he i think you're doing this and like almost like you're so nervous and you just feel a huge hand just like resting on your shoulder <laughs> you're a good soul crispin a good luminary. But you have to understand, more than anybody, we are not servants of Shole. We are servants of the light. Justice. Oh, well, it's not entirely selfless, I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> if, if both of her grandchildren died, then, then she'll send me with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not... It's not just your skin. Yeah, Ahalan, I... <laughs> I need you to come back. <laughs> I need you to try. Very well. A promise then. Between comrades. 
Crispin reaches his small-sized Haringon hand out to shake. And his one hand that can remove reaches out, shakes yours. Besides, someone needs to keep an eye on you, Jules. And there's actually a little smile here at this. As he smirks, Jules walks directly up to him, staring him in the eyes. Don't you go getting yourself killed for Zebulon. Laroche men killed my brother. I won't say my intentions are selfless either, not wholly. I want vengeance for that. And I want, I want my light, my oath returned. I will save the children. I will be whole again for Zebulon. Jules slowly extends his hand. Another shake. I'm also curious, what hand? The right. The halts and then takes it. If it's going to make any difference in anything as they shake hands, Jules' loot lights up and he gives him some bardic inspiration. Power floods into him. <sighs> Looks down at the golden moat. You are my friend. And I do love you too. I think he just almost looks. There's a moment of almost shame. He kind of nods. You are a good man. I think even Dance like steps beside you. And she's had her doubts this whole time. Even she just nods in agreement. And he takes a step back, looks at you, Jules, looks at you, Crispin. And then finally his eyes fall on Miskin. And through all the rage and the pain, for the benefit of the child, Arhalan smiles as wide as he can. It's unnatural, almost creepy, but it's, it's, it's a try. And he takes off and shoots down the mountain. Crispin has been unusually animated just now between getting riled up at the Paul thing <laughs> and... You know, we're still losing it a little bit with the whole Arhalon thing. He's kind of regained his composure, his calm, cool, collected nature. Well, there's no more time. Let's go get the little ones. You continue your journey down the mountain. Uh, I'll ask, are you, is there any way you want to speed the journey or are you going to just get there? As it stands, you will get there to the bottom around 10, to the tunnel around 11. Yeah, I, mean, close. I I could use wild shape, but I don't think I would be able to move all of us on yeah, horseback. Yeah, Jules is not in the right enough mindset to really think about anything else but just moving to where they need to go. Okay. Yeah, because you know, if, if something comes up, he'll hop on, but he is just moving. Yeah, there's there's four of us now, and even if Crispin turns, that's that's three right. people. I don't think he could take three riders, so probably just best to hoof it. All right. Um, foot it, not foot it. Hoof it. They, not they're literally it. the opposite of that thing. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> rabbit feet. Uh, bu- bu- bu. You are moving down the mountain. I'll ask one more thing. You received information from Miskin. You know where you're going last. You know where this lab is. You know a little more about the Tlatikolo, the creature that is creating Sereno, that Itzman's child. Yeah. I think I might have accidentally let slip son in the last episode. I didn't put it in the cutscene, so just. I said son instead in the cutscene. I don't care. It's been son. Apparently was the subject used to create this demon. Mm-hmm. There was a mention of it only happening at night. 
and only changing at night uh, well, because round stuff would do it during the day. Right, exactly. Yeah, so it wasn't directly that you mentioned it only it was a, changes it was a, at night, but... It was given for inference. Right, because you said that she might even be strong enough to, to hold her shape throughout the day. So. Hey, there we go. You're listening. At, um, le- at least that much. Hey, yes. give, him, give him a third button for that. <laughs> I buttoned out. You guys I are actually, done. I think I'm over the limit. I think I have four. You have no, he, he raised it to five for this arc. Five for this oh, arc. That's right. But, yeah. But no. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. So you know all these things. My last question is, you have the sending stone before... Like, if you send a message now, you do not get another one until dawn tomorrow, right. but you hold information that the other group might find useful. Yeah, we've literally figured out that the Sereno creature is Eatsman's son, and he reverts to his human form during the day. And you don't know a lot about Eatsman, but I think Dance would be at least like hearing that, like he'd be going and telling you all about, you know, he's the CEO of Marfil. Right. He's... You know, he's a very a huge person of huge interest to the uh, to the rebellion. Right. So as long as we understand that the party is sharing information, we all kind of like pass that around. Yeah. Let's let's craft a uh, a message here really quick. Hell yeah, let's do it. Twenty words, twenty five words. I forgot. Twenty five, I think. Twenty five. Okay. So Crispin picks up a sending stone. Rescued Miskin, saving other delights tonight. Severno creature. Is Eatsman's son. Believe reverts humanoid, maybe tiefling form during daytime. Once finished, meet Moreno Church. We zoom into the stone as you guys rush. Zoom into the blackness of the mouthpiece and out the blackness of the earpiece in the hands of Dresden Kellig. You've been awake for some time after resting following the battle with Pigman. And you are preparing for this night. A party perhaps riddled with danger. And maybe a hunt afterwards, if you are to learn more about this creature. Do you have anything you want to say back before the stone's magic fades? Yeah, I think he just says, Be safe. We'll be there. We'll be there after. Sorry, I just wanted to clarify, not we'll be there, like, Mm -hmm. at the... (laughs) There's no there there. <laughs> There's no there there. <laughs> Crispin's, well, 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 Crispin's sitting there. There what? There <laughs> 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 the mountain. <laughs> but what about there's there? <laughs> <laughs> and so we are back in Santian City, in the mining caverns beneath the Sereno Estate, where this party rests, repairs for one. Last hurdle. So the sending stone comes down. Do you know what this means, boys? Yes, sir. What, what's it mean, sir? What? I believe we'll have to kill the pig man's brother. <laughs> <laughs> they will call it there. <laughs>